Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Last week, we, we ended our lesson with the death of Jesus upon the cross. And if that was... Um, if that had been the end of the story, that would be a very sad story indeed. <clears throat> and if you think about it, that's the story of every man's life. When, when we all come to the end of his life, we're all going to die. And yet Jesus' story is different. How do you think you or I would have felt on that day after the death of Jesus, on that Saturday when we woke up and we realized that our friend, but not just our friend, our, our master, our teacher, is gone now. He's been buried and he's in the grave. I think you or I would have been a lot like the uh, the disciples at the time. The Bible tells us that they were afraid, that they were sorrowful, and that they, in, in some ways, almost felt hopeless. And that was the case for those disciples for that full day and into the next day. But what we want to talk about today in the in our study of the red letters is what does what does it, did Jesus' resurrection mean to those disciples? What were the words that he spoke to those disciples to give them comfort from their fear and from their sorrow and from their hopelessness? <clears throat> Excuse me. And what does that mean for the world today? What does that mean for you and I? That's what we want to think about. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, Luke describes how that on the first day of the week, the Sunday morning after Jesus uh, death and burial that women went out to the tomb he tells us that they went out there to to anoint him and to to finish his burial you remember that Joseph of Arimathea and John tells us that Nicodemus joined him that they took the body of Jesus on that Friday following his death and before the sun was down they had they had prepared him for his burial and had placed him in a tomb and then the the guards that were sent by Herod to guard the the uh, tomb they placed a big stone over and they sealed it so that Jesus body was sealed in the tomb and so you think about and the Bible also tells us that the women followed after and they saw where this tomb was and they saw the stone on it and so when they come out early on the morning of the first day of the week when they come to the tomb they're coming there with some expectation but also with some loss with some fear with some some sorrow because their master is dead. They find the tomb, the stone rolled away, and they find the tomb empty, and the, the men who were there, those, those angels that are there to, to comfort them, tell, remind them of what Jesus told them. And you remember they run back to, to tell the apostles, to tell the disciples of what they had found. And the Bible tells us that when they heard that story, when they heard the news of those women, that they thought it was idle tales. They thought it was just it was just a, a story that they had made up. And so they got up and they ran to the tomb. Peter and, and John ran to the tomb. John gets there first, but he doesn't go in first. Peter goes in first. And they, he sees the, the funeral clothes or the burial clothes of Jesus folded up and placed. And the, and the shroud that covered his, his face placed in a separate place, the handkerchief over his face. And then John comes in. And then they go back. They go back to their homes. They go back to Jerusalem there uh, with the same feelings of perplexion, of, of, of confusion, of, of marveling, but also of not knowing what's going on. 
And we want to pick up the story in John chapter 20. If you want to open your Bibles to John 20, we see Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And this is where we're going to begin our study of the red letters of the resurrection. Because I want us to keep in mind, remember, we know the rest of the story. But these people, as they're experiencing it, are experiencing these real emotions, this real dread, this loneliness, the fear of not having a, their master with them anymore, the teacher, or as Mary will call him, the rabbi. <clears throat> and the wonder of what comes next. Jesus had come to, uh, in their minds, to set up a kingdom. He had come to uh, establish a new normal for them, and, and now he's gone. And so it would be normal for us to feel those same feelings, and it would be normal for us to be able to, to sympathize with them. And we begin in John chapter 20, in verse 11. Actually, back up to verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. That's what we just talked about. They left the tomb not having seen Jesus, but they know the tomb's empty. Verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like a woman who was overwrought with sadness. But it's because the body of Jesus is missing. You notice what she says there? They have taken my Lord. She still thinks that somebody stole the body. They've taken it away and, they, and she doesn't know where it is. I think you and I can understand that. We've never seen a resurrection before. And yet Jesus is going to reveal himself to Mary in a way that's going to give her hope, going to give her encouragement. Look at verse... 15. Verse 14, excuse me. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Whether it was her eyes, the weeping that she was experiencing and her eyes were swollen and puffy or it was a, a, a miraculous intervention here that was happening, the Bible doesn't tell us. But for some reason, Mary was not able to recognize Jesus here as he, as he speaks with her in verse 15. He says, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are, whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I don't know about you, that makes my heart break for Mary. Because she still thinks that Jesus is dead. And not only that, but she thinks his body's missing now. And she thinks this gardener may have something to do with it or may know something about it. And she says, if you'll just tell me where he is, I'll get him and I'll take him away. I'll care for his body. Jesus says to her in verse 16, Mary. It's amazing how the Lord's voice can wake up our spiritual hearts, can wake us up to him. Jesus, to this point in time, had not addressed Mary as Mary. He had talked with her as, as a woman in a respectful tone, but in a, in a, in a less personal tone than to use her, her own name. But when she, he says Mary to her, notice what happens. She turns and said to him, Rabboni. Whether she recognized his voice or now she recognizes his face, she knows who he is. And what does she know at this moment in time? She knows that Jesus is alive that he is resurrected, 
She knows that he is back from the grave. And you, you can experience that in her cry. Rabboni, teacher, you're alive. Jesus answers her in verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary naturally would want to, to wrap her arms around Jesus and give him hope. He says, don't cling to me yet. I haven't ascended to the Father. But she gives, he gives her a job. He says, I want you to go and tell the, the disciples, I have, I'm alive and I'm ascending to the Father. What a wonderful news that is. What a wonderful joy that should bring to the disciples. Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And yet the scriptures tell us more about that. They say that she again considered those to be idle talk. They considered it to be the words of, of a person who was seeing things. But now we have one person who's seen the Lord and is, is rejoicing over it. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 24 now. And I want to I take a, a look at some men who are traveling on the road to Emmaus. And the, the, the state that we find them in. Again, we think about how we would experience the loss of Jesus and what we would do. And, and one of the things that we may do is we may just start to return back to our normal lives. We may go home again. These men had been with Jesus for, for three years or more. Some of these disciples had been with him for that long. And, but most of them had left their homes, had left their families, had come to follow Jesus as a way of life and not just as a, as a pastime. And now we're going to see people begin to start going back to their way of lives. And why is it? It's because they think that the master is dead. Look at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now what are they talking about? They're talking about the things that have happened. They're talking about the, the experience that Jesus has gone through in his death. They're talking about his death itself. and They may be even talking about these, these tales that they've heard from the women who've come back from the tomb, and maybe even from Peter and John. And yet we notice as we read through this, there's still a sense of hopelessness with them. There's still a loss of hope. Maybe not complete hopelessness, but there's a loss of hope in the message of Jesus and in the, the ministry of Jesus, and in the power of Jesus. So Jesus draws near to him, and he asks him the question, What kind of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk and, and are sad? Jesus, of course, he knows the heart of mankind, and so he would know from their heart that they're sad, but he could probably see from their faces that they're sad. They're disappointed. They're disappointed in the, the situation in which they find themselves. Then, one, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? I, I get tickled at that. Are you, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known these things which happened here in these days? What does that tell you? That tells you that the death of Jesus was news not just among the disciples, but it was news throughout Jerusalem. So much so that it, that it would only be a stranger who would not know about the death of Jesus. This was big news. 
The death of the one who is preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The death of the one who is preaching the, the necessity of repentance and the necessity of obedience to the baptism of John. The one who is preaching the, the, the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom is dead now. And they say, you've got to be a stranger to not know what's going on. Jesus said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen to verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Does it sound like they may have lost some hope? They thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel, and now he's dead. What does that do to us when we have something that we've hoped in to, a, to it look like it's been crushed, to have that hope crushed? We can understand why back in verse 17 that they were sad. And sometimes we may feel that way as well. We may feel like our hopes are crushed, that our, that our desires have been quenched because of the, the situations of life. But one of the things we learn from the resurrection is that's never the end of the story. There's always hope. There's always the opportunity to rejoice. There's always the opportunity to be encouraged by the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 21, Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Why is that important? Because the Jews had a belief that the, the soul could return to the body after three days, but by the end of the third day, by the time that third day would come, that all hope would be lost of, of, a, of a, in their minds, a resurrection. And now they see this as becoming hopelessness. This is a time whenever Jesus isn't coming back. <clears throat> yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. These men didn't believe the reports of Mary, or maybe they left before Mary re returned from the tomb. But they're sad here because their master is dead. And listen to what Jesus says to them. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. What's he saying there? The prophets told you this would happen. The prophets told you that it was necessary for the Christ to be raised again. It was necessary for him to die. And we'll talk more about that in future lessons, the necessity of it. But verse 26 says, Ought not the Christ who has suffered these things and entered into his glory? Jesus now is going to begin to open up their minds to what the scriptures said, what that prophesied about his death, and what actually happened, and the glory that came from that death and burial and resurrection for Jesus, but also the hope that comes for us. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is, today, it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. 
Something about the breaking of the bread there and the blessing of it caused their eyes to be open to the truth. Whether their hearts had prohibited them from being able to see Jesus, their, un, their unfaithfulness, their disbelief had caused them to not be able to see Jesus, the Bible doesn't tell us. But in the blessing and the breaking of the bread, their hearts were opened, their eyes were opened, and they were able to see Jesus. And at that point, Jesus vanishes from them. That's all that they needed to see to regain their hope, to regain their, their joy, to regain their, their, their trust in the plan of God. And they said to one another, Did not a heart burn within us while we talked with us, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. What a wonderful message that is. That's the message that the world needs to hear. The Lord is risen indeed. Have you heard that message? Do you understand what it means to you? Do you understand what it has done to change the world and what it can do to change your life? These people were in a state of sorrow. They were in a state of, of overwhelming grief and a state of hopelessness. And the message of the resurrected Savior changed their lives, changed their perspective. And it can change your perspective as well. It can change my perspective. It can change our reaction to the things of life if we remember that we have a Savior who's risen from the dead. The Lord indeed is risen and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Jesus again appeared to them. He says, Now as he said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. Now, those ones who hadn't seen Jesus before now think that he's a ghost. Remember that happened to them whenever they were on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus came to them. They thought he was a ghost. And he said, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and, and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus here is continually showing them evidence that he is alive. And even in the beginning, they, they, didn't, they said that they didn't believe for joy. It's amazing to me that somebody could be so overjoyed and marvel that they can't believe what they're seeing. You probably heard that happen before. I can't believe what I'm seeing. That's happened to the, the apostles here. And yet that's not the last story that we see of somebody who doesn't believe. Can you think of somebody who's known for his doubt? Turn back over to John chapter 20 now, and we're going to talk about doubting Thomas. That's an unfortunate name that's associated with the name of Thomas, because Thomas should know, be known as believing Thomas. But he, he's better known for his statement that he makes about the, his resistance to the resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 20, in verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there with the disciples when, he, when Jesus appeared to him. And the other apostles, the disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see his hand, in his hands the print of the nails, 
and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, we have a saying here in Missouri. We call this the show me state, right? Thomas wanted not just to be shown, but he wanted to feel the nail prints of Jesus. He said, unless I can put my finger into his nail prints and I can touch the piercing of his side, I'm not going to believe. Unfortunately, there are people in the world who take that position of Jesus. Unless I can lay my hands on Jesus, I'm not going to believe. The resurrection to them is so overwhelmingly uh, impossible. It's so hard to believe that they won't. They, they, they simply won't believe in it. And it's unfortunate because Jesus came to save those people just as he came to save those who would believe. And yet they resist that message. The resurrection changes lives if people will allow it to change their lives. The resurrection has the power to, to change our, our perspective if we'll allow it to change our perspective. Thomas makes this very bold statement. But then a week later, verse 26, after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. I want you to notice something here. Let's kind of throw in a, kind of a side thought in here. You notice every time Jesus talks with the disciples after, after his resurrection, he uses words to calm them and to bring peace to their lives. In Matthew, he says, Rejoice. That's the first thing we hear Jesus say. The first red letters we, that Matthew refor, records of Jesus after his resurrection is rejoice. Later on, he says, Do not be afraid. Here he says, Peace to you. To Mary, he speaks her name. Jesus here wants to bring peace and joy and uh, confidence, lack of fear, to his disciples. And he wants to do that as well. Then he said, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Jesus is going to allow Thomas to, to feel him. He's going to allow him to, to, whatever he needs to do to to. Prove to himself that Jesus is alive. Jesus is going to let Thomas do that. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, Thomas didn't even have to touch him. Thomas, in seeing Jesus, said these words, My Lord and my God. What a strong testimony to the identity of Jesus. He is Lord. He is also God. But he's alive. And that's an amazing testimony, Thomas makes here. We've seen Mary as an example of how how weeping can be turned to rejoicing. We've seen the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and as, as an example of how hopelessness can be restored to hopefulness. We've seen Thomas as an example of unbelief can be restored to belief. But what about those people who've never seen the resurrected Jesus? You know, Jesus only appeared to about 500 people in the time between his resurrection and his, and his ascension. So what about the billions of people? What about the millions of people that were on the earth during the time of Jesus' resurrection? What about the billions of people who have lived before and after the resurrection of Jesus? What is it about the resurrection that gives them hope and courage? And more importantly, what gives me hope? What gives you hope? What gives you encouragement in the resurrection? 
Notice what Jesus says next. Verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. That's you and I. The blessing that comes from the resurrection of Jesus is the, is the fact that people have witnessed it with their own eyes and we can believe their testimony. We can believe their report. When you go through the book of Acts and you read about the preaching of the apostles, one of the things that was integral to the preaching of the apostles was the resurrected Savior. The fact that he was raised from the dead. You see that in the preaching of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. You see that in the preaching of, of Paul on, the, uh, on Mars Hill when he preaches about the resurrection. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is, gives power to the gospel. You think about the importance that the, that the, the message of, of the, uh, the, the resurrection plays in the identity of Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't the Son of God until he was raised from the dead, but what it means is that the resurrection was testimony to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. What does testimony mean? Testimony is the evidence that someone who's been an eyewitness, that someone who knows the truth gives to somebody else as proof that the event took place. Think about a court of law and how you bring in witnesses to give testimony. They're giving, they're, they're stating their knowledge of evidence of the facts of the case. And the resurrection is testimony to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a longer reading, but I want us to notice the importance of the resurrection in the gospel. The gospel being the good news of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Well, that message being preached, the resurrection is integral to it. Listen to verse 1. We'll begin in verse 1 of chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, but which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and that he, is, he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, then at last of all he was seen by me also, as, one, as by one born out of due time. Skip down to verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Notice what Paul says there. He says, if there is no resurrection, the gospel message is empty. There's nothing of substance to it if there is no resurrection. And your faith is empty. What does that mean? It means that the trust and the faith and the hope that we place in Jesus is wrapped around the truth, the reality of the resurrection. 
Verse 15, Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the red dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That puts us back in the situation that Mary was in, that the people on the road to Emmaus were in, that Thomas was in. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, all we have is fear. All we have is sorrow. All we have is hopelessness. And Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is risen from the dead. The Lord is risen indeed. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead gives purpose to our faith. It gives purpose to our obedience to the gospel. You remember in in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Those of us who were buried with Christ were buried into his death. Look at Romans chapter 3. Excuse me, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Notice here the, the importance of the resurrection. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You know when you were baptized into Christ, you know what you were doing there? You were taking that old man of sin who'd been put to death in repentance and you're burying him. Jesus died on the cross. They didn't leave him on the cross. They buried him in a tomb. But you know what the Lord did? The Lord raised him up again to newness of life. When you come up out of that water of baptism, the Bible says that you're raised to a newness of life. The resurrection gives purpose to your obedience to the gospel. It gives purpose to your obedience to the command to be baptized. Peter tells us that over in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 21, when he says, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus gives power to the command to be baptized. What a wonderful blessing it is to know that we can be saved from sin because Jesus was raised from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us joy throughout the rest of our lives. John wrote his first epistle to give joy to Christians, to give encouragement to them, to give strength and spiritual resiliency to them, to help them know that even when they sin, that Jesus is an advocate to help restore them. But the resurrection is integral to that. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What did Jesus tell Thomas to do after his resurrection? He says, handle me. Touch me. Put your finger into the nail print. Put your hand into my side. John says they did that. They handled the risen Savior. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. 
when Jesus died on the cross and was buried, he didn't stay dead. He was raised to eternal life. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Does knowing that Jesus is raised from the dead give you hope? Does it give you joy? Does it give you encouragement? Does it give you um, certainty in knowing that your sins can be forgiven. The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us all those things. It gives meaning to our faith. It gives power. It gives reality to our hope. It gives us the certainty of knowing that we can be saved from our sins. The resurrection of Jesus is so critical to the gospel. We sing a song we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. We know that He is living, whatever men may say. The chorus says, He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Do you believe that with all your heart? Have you confessed that to men? Are you willing to obey His command to be baptized if you haven't already? The Bible tells us that Jesus' resurrection puts power into that baptism so that our sins can be washed away, so that we can rise to a newness of life. Have you done that? Maybe you have, and maybe you've let the weight of sin overwhelm you, and you've gone back into the world. Would you be restored? If you have a need, we encourage you to reach out to us. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Bradleyville Church of Christ. and let it, uh, You can message us individually, and you can let us know if you have a need. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.